January 5, 2021. You are back in class with Amos Wellington, your host for I Represent the 2%. Today, we will discuss just briefly, just briefly, just touching on this subject today, um, Major League Baseball's decision on December 16th of 2020 to acknowledge the Negro Leagues as Major League level baseball. I am somewhat appeased, somewhat pleased. Um, I am not a direct descendant or related to any Negro League players, all-stars, Hall of Famers, their statistical acknowledgement by Major League Baseball does not affect my bottom line, as it were. I am not expecting a check from Major League Baseball, the Negro League Museum in Kansas City, Missouri, or anyone else as it relates to this topic. I'm just dropping my two cents. As the representative of the 2% here on I Represent the 2%, I just wanted to make a couple of statements that Major League Baseball did not. First, let me say this. The Negro Leagues did not need Major League Baseball to make this announcement. The Negro League historians, the players, their direct descendants, um, they did what they did. They set trends, they filled stadiums, they developed their own business model, and they developed their own ecosystem. They worked around and without Major League Baseball. They worked tirelessly, entertaining, competing, training, traveling, not only competing against themselves as the players, coaches and managers, but competing against Jim Crow. How are we going to rent a stadium? How are we going to get our people here, our fans, our players into the stadium, out of the stadium safely without being oppressed, without being attacked, without being harassed by the establishment, by the you know police, by the um, you know, depending on what city, what state, and what year, uh, Negro Leagues played in America between 1920 officially and 1948. Um, are we going to be able to travel safely between states? How can we put the game up? You know, I'm sure there were tons and tons of considerations that so-called Major League Baseball did not have to. Well, let's just do it like this: White Major League Baseball did not have to consider. At the Black Stadium, at the Black Game, at the Negro League Game, there was no need for a colored section. You bought the best tickets, you sat in the best seat. You had the most money, you sat where you wanted to sit. You didn't have to be uh, seated a thousand rows away from the third baseline or the first baseline behind all the white spectators and exclusively in the colored section, right? We've got to acknowledge Major League Baseball that you not only um, and it's cute. I mean, I appreciate the 
the players that you know that that um, you decided were going to be able to handle the abuse that would certainly come with them crossing the color line, um, because as as was feared, we would take over the game, and we took over the game. Um, what we didn't take over. And what we did lose, uh, and that's what I really want to talk about, is the economic base. Um, the Negro League, the Negro League baseball teams, baseball clubs, were black owned. Um, they owned the team. They owned the box office. They owned the concessions. They owned T-shirts, placards, banners, um, things that may be sold, you know, posters and whatnot autographs and all of those sort of things the players they were able to negotiate their rate play for different clubs play in different leagues um, and they controlled that ecosystem they controlled that economic system when you allow and I do say allow um, one black player in and then you treat that black player like trash, less than human. You allow fans to say whatever. You allow players to, you know, dig their cleats into his feet, um, spike him, hit him, do different things and expect him to bite his lip for weeks, months at a time, years from minor leagues up to uh, the majors and, and um, 10 years playing in the show. When you allow that player in, 1947, Mr. Jack Robinson, and Mrs. Rachel Robinson called her husband Jack, and I will do that for him in his memoriam and respect him and call him Jack. Um, the concern that I have at this moment it's not the statistics and where do players rank and who's ahead of Babe Ruth now and how many more home runs does Hank Aaron have or Willie Mays have or, you know, these Kurt Flood, you know, where does he rank now? The Negro League Baseball Hall of Fame needs to be funded by Major League Baseball. And I mean funded in terms of its operating costs. It's the least they can do. It's the least they can do. Um, there needs to be promotion and specials. They, they could finance, not to keep the profit of, but they could produce, as it were, documentaries, um, talking about these players, talking about these clubs, talking about the innovation of the ownership to lease, purchase, build, these different stadiums where their Negro League clubs could function and operate without the fear, without the fear, without the fear of, you know, they're having their business burned to the ground. The business was burned to the ground when Jack Robinson was brought up into Major League Baseball. Because now at that point, we have the we have the Negro Leagues. But if you consider, consider the emotion of blacks in America at that time, you watch 
white Major League Baseball on television. Negro League Baseball is not on television. May not be on the radio. I'm sorry, 40s. Not a whole lot of television, mostly radio, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's 2021, and I'm acting like, uh, you know, there's 800 networks and all these different things. 1947, we're talking radio, right? We're talking radio, we're talking newspaper, um, pictures, hearing hearing the play-by-play from an announcer describing Jack Robinson stealing home plate. You know, doing things that were innovations from the Negro Leagues, the Negro Major Leagues. And so one thing that um, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, did very well in this situation was that, excuse me while I adjust my microphone, was that they commended the Seamheads Negro Leagues database which was also recognized by Brian Gumbel of uh, HBO's Real Sports as the most authoritative record of Negro League statistics ever assembled. That is Seamheads, S-E-A-M-H-E-A-D-S dot com slash Negro Leagues. Um, and as I look up their work, I'm learning about these other leagues that were colored. And I quote from from their site, it says, for a number of leagues and seasons, we still need to add fielding and complete pitching statistics, e.g. home runs allowed by pitchers, as well as hit by pitch for batters. These seasons include 1924 and the ECL, 1925 NNL and ECL, so this is not a this is not a done deal, right? As I go back up, and we're discussing now Latin American leagues, right? In addition to games between Black major league teams, including postseason series and the All Star games, we also offer statistics for exhibition games between Black teams and White major and minor league teams. And as Black American players often played in Latin American leagues. The black players from Latin America played in the Negro Leagues in the U.S. We cover Cuban and Mexican baseball of the era and plan to cover Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic, Venezuela in the future. So when we talk about the Negro Leagues, got to recognize that the players that we see now, the Sammy Sosas, the Big Poppies, you know, all of these uh, Dominican, Latin players, the Cuban ball players, that if you just look at them, you see a black man. The black Americans that were playing Negro League baseball here because it was the only level that they were allowed to play at. They were major league baseball players. Obviously, their athletic talent, ability was present, right? When they finished their season here, they would travel to Mexico. They would travel to Dominican Republic. They would travel to Puerto Rico and they would play over there. Let's look at some of these dates. I'm still reading uh, from uh, the seamheads.com statistics. Currently have at least some data. Currently we have at least some data for every season in the United States 
from 1886 through 1948. 1886. What's happening in America in 1886? We're talking Reconstruction, right? Post-Reconstruction now. 1886 through 1948, as well as more than 20 Cuban seasons from 1899-1900 through 1927-1928, and several Mexican seasons in the 1940s. We're always uncovering and adding new seasons, leagues, games, and other information to our database. So it is worth checking back frequently to see what's new. Now, the reason I went in a minute ago talking about white Major League Baseball is because when we joined white Major League Baseball, we came as entertainment only. We weren't offered expansion clubs. And when I say we, I mean the Negro League owners, because again, they owned their teams. They owned the franchise. They owned the jersey sales and t-shirts and the popcorn and the Cokes and all of those things. Hot dogs, right? You think about a league. Think about a league right now. If you just it, it, you know, right now the Major League Baseball is 30 teams, 32 teams somewhere in there. Same for the NBA. Go back to the 40s. I don't know the exact number. I'm not a major statistician. Let's just throw out there and say it was 25 teams. Okay, let's say it's 25 teams. And then let's say in 1947, we have zero black players at the white Major League Baseball level. Right? It's 100% homogenous group, no blacks playing. Okay, cool. You let one through the door, Jack Robinson, Brooklyn Dodgers. He comes in, kicks the door down. Over the next several years, every club in the um, in the uh, major leagues, white major leagues, adds black players. The last being, this is one baseball statistic I do know, uh, Boston Red Sox, late 60s, I believe, 1969, the first black player, um, 20, 22 years after Jack Robinson was brought into um, the Dodgers organization in Brooklyn. So we went from ownership and manager and first base coach, and third base coach, and pitcher, catcher, all position players and, and development, bus drivers, and all those things, um, the custodians at the, um, at the venues, the, you know, the people that, you know, graded the field, the landscapers and gardeners, all 100% black, 100% black, or let me say 100% non-white, let's put it that way. Um... And now we have a situation where we go to the polar opposite, where everything is white, and then we've got this one itty teeny tiny black player out of Pasadena, California, Jack Robinson, Army man, UCLA grad. Some of the old cats I remember uh, hanging out with my grandfather that saw Jack Robinson live and in the flesh told me 
um, and said, young man, don't you ever forget this. Baseball was Jack Robinson's worst sport. Baseball was Jack Robinson's worst sport. He played football, baseball, and ran track at UCLA. Monster. I'm not certain that he, I'm almost certain he lettered in basketball as well. Don't quote me on that. If it's a mistake, you know, feel free to write an email to uh, idgaf.com. <laughs> in any case, the cast would talk about his, his exploits on the football field at the Coliseum. They would talk about his exploits in the track. Uh, and on the on the track, talking about him changing out of his baseball pants, coming over, and you know, j- long jumping. His brother, Jack Robinson's brother, had also been an All-American and held the um, I think he was the United States uh, leader at some point in the long jump. I know he was the UCLA record holder until his younger brother came along and broke that in the long jump. And uh, many of you know, I'm sure, that the only job he was able to get with his bachelor's degree from UCLA in the early 40s was as a street sweeper. And um, man, I mean, anyway. So entertainment we were. They bring us in, say, okay, you can play. Cool. You can't coach. I don't know how many years it was until we had a, a black base coach, pitching coach, um, manager. You know, I don't know when those things crossed. And then as far as ownership, I mean, we see Magic Johnson. We know Mag- Magic Johnson's an, a minority owner of the Los Angeles Baseball Dodgers organization. And I'm thrilled that Magic is there. I'm, I grew up in Los Angeles. I love Magic Johnson. Irvin Magic Johnson, tremendous businessman, tremendous marketeer. Um, but across those 30, 32 teams in Major League Baseball, we were brought in as entertainment, as talent, and we were never given the ownership opportunity. The expansion clubs to Montreal, expansion clubs in Florida, um, expansion clubs in um, Arizona. We were never given those opportunities. And when I say given those opportunities, I mean as a recognition, you know, it's cute to say we're going to acknowledge Negro League Baseball as Major League Level Baseball. That's that's so kind of you, Major League Baseball. Manfred, Mr. Commissioner, thank you so much for that. That's so kind of you. But are you going to acknowledge that entire financial bases were destroyed. All of those team owners, what happened to them? Are you going to acknowledge your the part that you played, the role that you played in the destruction of those economies? The people that sold peanuts, the black vendors that sold peanuts in the Negro League Baseball stadiums. Could they work in your stadium in the 40s? The 
sanitation workers, the janitors, um, the valets, were they allowed to work in your stadium at the time? The people that owned the bus lines and owned the team, did you give an opportunity to, you know, put funds together, even if they would have collectively come in on one team? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. I'm going to talk about the immediate decline in revenue in one year to the point where the league ends right after Jack Robinson's second year. It's over because now Major League Baseball, white Major League Baseball is picking and choosing the players they want past their prime or not. They're still better than these folks who have not had to compete against brothers on this baseball diamond in the midst of Jim Crow. So you know brothers were tearing the cover off the ball. And you know Satchel Paige and the other pitchers, I mean, 20 years later, Bob Gibson in the 60s is dominating and he's the absolute best in the league. Left-handed pitcher, two-time champion, St. Louis Cardinals, Bob Gibson, passed away 2020. We must do better than accepting these crumbs <laughs> 72 years after the crime takes place you choose to acknowledge the um, the picking of the litter that you began to do to the point where after you've picked all of the turkey off the bone you walk away you leave the bones dry lifeless and now you say, oh, well, 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 the Major League Baseball Players Association will make a collective donation in February to the Negro League Baseball Hall of Fame of $1 million. And that's, I mean, it's, it's nice. I'm not going to call it cute because they don't have to do that stuff. Um, certainly would like to see it be fully funded, um, fully funded because you owe that money. Let's just, you know, let's just be honest. You owe that money. It's not a gift. Um, you owe that money. You owe the recognition to the, the descendants of the owners of the Grays and all, all of the teams in the different areas. You owe that to them. So um, I'll end with this. The players on the field that have Spanish surnames and black skin are black players. When we see Mookie Betts, who's an American-born black man, dominating. He dominated in Boston. He's dominating in Los Angeles. And we're thrilled to have him here. And we look around the league and we see all of these players from Cuba, and the DR and our Bariqua brothers don't look to them and say oh we need more black players we have black players they're pitching they might speak Spanish they're still black we, not, we may not have the same 
um, exact experience, but their country experienced colonization as well. Their country experienced the slave trade as well. Whether they're Venezuelan, Brazilian, Puerto Rican, Haitian, Cuban, we're all black. We're all black. And the players that are out there, I'm thrilled to see them. I'm glad they can support their families through this great game. I'm glad that by swinging a bat, fielding a ball, throwing that same ball, catching that ball, you know, and carrying themselves as professionals, they can support their families for generations. And that's a wonderful thing. I do want to see... Um, I don't know exactly what I want to see from Major League Baseball. I'll tell you this, saying that them for them to, for Manfred to say the Negro Leagues were Major League caliber is an attempt to raise white Major League Baseball to the level of Negro League Baseball. It's an attempt to diminish the shine that was coming from the players in the Negro Leagues. Because obviously, because obviously, when they were allowed to play, just like the Nike ad a few years ago, talking about the uh, talking about ladies in Title IX, when you let us play, we dominate. My coach at West LA College, Daryl Holmes, told me uh, in 1992, he said, anything with a ball, brother's going to run. And by run, I don't mean carry. I mean, we're going to handle that. We're going to dominate that. Um, I think I'm going to talk about hockey here pretty soon. And by hockey, I'm talking about the history of it, like the origin. Like who were the first teams to say, oh, this is so interesting. I can use these sticks. Um, Yeah. And how there are hieroglyphs of Africans playing a game with sticks in a field and some sort of ball that looks closely like, closely like field hockey. And how through travel, some of those brothers ended up in Canada and started a game with sticks and something ball-like on the field and eventually on skates. We'll talk about that soon. I got to do a little more reading on that one before I get buck wild. But um, in any case, Mr. Manfred, I appreciate your sentiment. But we've always been Major League Baseball. We were the show. You came to get us just like just like the, the UK, just like the founding fathers went to Africa to get us because they needed help. They needed a labor force. They needed our ingenuity. They needed our skill in agriculture. They needed our women from uh, Senegal and from, um, oh Lord have mercy. Um, um, It's a Western African country, Sierra de Leon, Sierra de Leon, Uh, Sierra Leone, that's right were for rice. So rice didn't start in Asia, it started in Western Africa. They needed our people to come over there, teach them how to irrigate systems, 
because we've been doing that on the continent of Africa for thousands of years before we'd ever seen anything light, bright, damn near white and pink. They needed our architecture. So they came and got it. They didn't ask for the skills. They didn't trade for the skills. They killed for the skills. And just like they came to the shores of Western Africa with the cannon and the rifle and threatened to kill the people that would not cooperate, they killed Negro League Baseball by picking and choosing the players that they wanted to take. So we need to acknowledge that economic travesty of of the late 1940s. When you acknowledge that, I will acknowledge you as a great patriot in this nation. Thank you guys for listening. I do represent the 2%. This is Amos Wellington and uh, Black Major League Baseball deserves Black Major League Baseball from the 20s to the late 40s from the 18 from 1886 up until the very last pitch was thrown and the very last out was recorded deserves its rightful place in history not white major league baseball history but in history period i appreciate your time see you soon here again on i represent the 2%